America's finest city. This is Real Talk San Diego on ESPN 1700. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Brett Davis Success Hour on ESPN Real Talk San Diego 1700. Uh, thank you for listening in. This is Brett Davis, your host, with Claire McKee. Hello, hello. Claire, good to see you as always. You look as beautiful, and uh, look at you. Feeling a little chubbier after the holidays, you know, but... And you're in, you look like you're in love. You're floating around today. You have this, gl- this glow. Also, to my engineer, uh, Jeff, in the booth, I appreciate uh, everything you do to try to keep us afloat. We have an incredible guest today. He's not only a superstar actor, he's an action hero, director, screenwriter, producer, European champion and martial artist, and a chemical engineer. He's also multilingual and a father of two beautiful young ladies. We can go on and on about this badass. This guy really is an amazing person and one of the nicest people I've met in a long time. Mr. Dolph Lundgren. Hi, Dolph. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, this has been an interesting experience for me. I've never had to to put on survival skills like this for an interview. (laughs) Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, it took a while to to get it set up, yeah. Thanks for being on the show today. Excuse me? Thank you for being on the show today. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. I, I really enjoyed meeting you guys the other day, and uh, yeah, I look forward to it. Why don't you um, tell us where your story begins, where you were born? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I was born in uh, Sweden, in Stockholm, Sweden. Um Viking country, and um, you know, I grew up there in the suburb of Stockholm. I studied, um, you know, school. My dad was a um, an officer, army officer, and uh, an en- engineer as well, chemical engineer. Uh, sorry, electrical engineer. And um, my brother was a chemical engineer. And I, um, yeah, I just um, kind of decided to try to follow in their footsteps to um, to do engineering, and um, that's how I started. You know, um, to uh, to high school. Tell us about the city you grew you, the city you grew up in. What was it like? Well, I grew up in Stockholm in the '60s and early '70s. So it was during the Cold War, and and Russia is only two hours by plane from Stockholm. But Moscow is two hours away. So there was a kind of I guess I remember you know the nuclear drills and all of that stuff. Um, but Stockholm is kind of a small town, and um, you know it's very cold in the winter and dark. And in the summer, it's bright, and you have we have uh, you know uh, it gets dark around 11 p.m. at night, and gets bright around 2 a.m. And in the winter, it, it gets light around 11 a.m. and dark around 2 p.m. So it's kind of a it's kind of a uh, exotic place. Um, but I think I had a pretty good upbringing, and um, you know I did a lot of sports. I did. Uh, soccer and ice hockey, even though I had some allergies as a kid. I had some pollen allergies, so I, it wasn't until I was about 13, 14 that I got involved in sports. You and I have the same things in common. I had massive allergies around that age, too. And uh sounds like we kind of had the same upbringing a little bit, just in different parts of the world. I looked... Yeah, you know, it gives you that kind of um, 
it gives you um, a little bit of a lack of confidence because they get picked last for the uh, for the you know some of the sports events and stuff like uh, you play in the schoolyard games and stuff. But so I had something to kind of try to. I guess I had uh, something I wanted to prove to uh, to myself um, later in life. And you did. We're going to take a quick break, Dolph, and we'll be right back uh, on ESPN Real Talk San Diego 1700. We're at the ESPN Real Talk uh, San Diego 1700. This is the Brett Davis Success Hour. Um, we're here with the amazing, multi-talented uh, Dolph Lundgren. Dolph, how old were you when you got into the martial arts? I was about 14, and I started doing judo, and... Um, I ended up on, underneath some uh, big, heavy guy who was sweating all over me, and he was trying to choke <laughs> me out. And I, said, I don't know, man. Uh, let me try karate. Where you're away from the other person. So um, I, I just switched to, to karate, and I started doing that when I was about 15, and uh, and I stuck with it. <laughs> and it paid off for you very well. Yeah, I. Um, you know, slowly I, I got rid of my uh, allergies and uh, realized that I was quite good. I was a pretty good fighter and I had kind of that multi-talented, you need skills like a little bit of strength, a little bit of, little bit of cardio, you need some um, you need some guts, you need to be able to take a punch, you need the coordination. It's like, a, you know, being a fighter, you need a, a combination of skills and I seem to have some of those, so... I kept at it, and I, uh, yeah, I did pretty well. Yeah, I started doing pretty well when I was by 1920. Now, this is really interesting because you had this athletic background. Uh, you overcame your allergies, and you became, you know, this amazing individual that you, you've become. How do you get, how does somebody like yourself <laughs> that's so athletic and has so many varieties of gifts Get a degree in chemical engineering. It's completely like a whole different area of where uh, you're, you're at now today. Well, thanks. Uh, well, you know, um, my dad was an electrical engineer. My other brother's a chemical engineer. And uh, I guess I wanted to impress my dad. And he his favorite school was MIT in Boston. So I kind of had this goal in mind to get a scholarship to MIT. And that's how I started studying. Uh, you know, I went to America a couple of times. I went to Washington State University. Then I went to uh, Clemson. Then I was up at, I was in Australia, uh, Sydney, Australia for a year. And finally, I got the scholarship um, to MIT. Um, but the full got scholarship. But I, I didn't really, I never really felt 100% committed as an individual to, to doing that for the rest of my life. I'd always been interested in, in um, you know, in the arts, and, and, and I was uh, playing drums. I was, I was mu- involved in music. I was painting when I was a kid, and, and I think, you know, that came up and kind of caught me at a certain age. Around 23, 24, I started changing my mind. Well, I'll tell you what, you've had a very, uh, very uh, interesting career in life in so many different ways. Um, tell us about your military career. And how that played a part? Okay. I, uh, yeah, my, my dad was an um, was an officer, captain in the reserves in Sweden, and this is during the Cold War. So I used to go with him as a kid when they had their various exercises and maneuvers. And in those days, we do a lot of, a lot of light fire exercises, artillery, and 
small arms. And, and so I kind of grew up around that. And then when I was about 14, 15, I got involved in ROTC in school, like officer's training program, and um, did some of that. And um, and when I was about 19, I was drafted. This is, um, you know, in Sweden, you had a year and a half or so of military service, uh, mandatory. So I did that um, in like in a Marine Corps unit, sort of a Navy SEAL type of unit. And at this point, I was doing um, uh, martial arts as well. And um, um, then, you know, it's kind of kept my interest in, in the military. And I guess you know, some of my movies, I've played a soldier. In, and I guess it's probably coming from my dad originally, I would think. Life imitating art. Life, life imitating art. Why, why the performing arts? No, I says it's like life uh, imitating art. Which, uh, yeah, life uh, imitating art. You're right. I is, and uh, you know, I guess since I was a kid, I always had this feeling of kind of feeling like I wanted to squeeze the most out of life, like. I could never really decide on one thing. I mean, I, you know, I like sports, but, and I wanted to prove myself because I'd been sick when I was younger. And then I, you know, my dad was an engineer, so I wanted to prove to him that I could do it. And at the same time, I had this urge for the arts, uh, the performing arts. So it's, yeah, I was always torn between, you know, what I should do. And I guess, I suppose it's a little bit like the Renaissance man back in the old days, you know, they used to educate a man, a, you know, a young nobleman in, in Europe or whatever, they used to used to be able to ride, you, should, you know, speak Latin, you should dance, you should play music, you know, all those things together. So I guess somewhere in there I, I found find myself comfortable, you know. It's funny, when we were putting your, um, going over your life in your interview, uh, one of the things I told Sarah, uh, my wife you met the other day, was, she said, how do you describe, Sarah was asking me, how do you describe Dolph? And I said, He's a Renaissance man. Oh, thanks. And then you just uh, you said completely you said the same thing that I was telling Sarah the other day when we were putting this whole thing together. So how did acting become a part? How did acting become a part of your life? And what was it about acting that intrigued you? Well, I think you know I did some acting as as a teenager, and uh, you know what it was. I think. I was always a bit sensitive as a kid, and I always I was always kind of emotional, and I liked to paint, and I liked to draw, and I liked to express myself. But I mean, my dad, you know, I had a tough relationship with him. You know, he was the, he grew up during the Depression in Sweden, and, and you know, he was a tough guy. He was physically kind of a bit abusive. He was had a bad temper. He was a nice guy, but he was normal. But a lot of times he wasn't, and. I think as a young boy, you know, I, 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 uh, you know, I, I wanted him to love me, and I sometimes I felt he didn't, and I think there was some trauma there that, that I'm, you know, the reason I became a fighter and got involved in, in uh, combat sports is, is because of him, and and my relationship with him has a lot to do with that, and that also when you come to acting, you know. The first time I went to an acting class and, and to do an emotional scene and you could actually express yourself emotionally was a big deal for me. Because in sports, you you express yourself physically 
And in, in the uh, academia, you express yourself intellectually, but I never really expressed myself emotionally. And I think that, that was the big attraction to me. You know, it takes a lot of people, it takes a lot of getting to know yourself to be able to say what you just did because most people don't really know why they get into things. They really don't know how they became what they did, but it sounds like you've done a lot of soul searching to be able to come to that conclusion. Yes, I did. And uh, for many years, I kind of hijacked the, as, as my therapist says, you kind of hijacked the emotion. You can use it to fight. You could, you know, I had a killer instinct in the ring, and that's that kind of trauma, the emotion I could use for that. I could use it as an actor to play, you know, uh, the Russian, um, you know, bad guy, uh, Rocky IV, for instance, or some other movie, or a tough guy in a movie, but it wasn't until... You know, about four or five years ago when I got into therapy and, and uh, started meditating and, and stuff like that, that I really got to the bottom of it and, and really tried to um, not to um, carry it with me, but, but actually try to get rid of some of that trauma and, and live without it. You know, and I can still act, I can still fight, but I don't have to do it from that place, from that reactive place that I did before. I take my hat off to you because that, 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 that's a huge accomplishment. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's um, you know I, I did actually TED talk on that, and I it, you know it's called the, the I guess one term they use is escape behavior, which means you have something inside you can't escape, like uh, post-traumatic stress. So you try to escape it by drinking, by you know uh, fighting, by uh, you know uh, being violent, by you know uh, challenging yourself to crazy you know uh, life threatening, um, you know, adventures, all of those things that, you know, I've had those impulses and, and uh, you know, it's, it's great once you lose it because life has just become so much easier. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I appreciate you sharing that about you. That's very, it's very insightful and um, hopefully anybody that's listening to this can learn, can learn from what you just shared with us. Thank you. I, I really hope so. I hope so. I think a lot of people, you know, it was like with me, I, look, if you have a you have a toothache, you don't pick, you know, you could back a hundred years ago, you picked up your own pliers to pull your tooth out, but now you go to the dentist. So if you have another problem, anything emotional, you go to somebody who knows about that and try to help get some help. I mean, that's what I did. So it, it really helped me a lot. What was your first official movie? The first film I did was called A View to a Kill, and that was a Bond picture with uh, Roger Moore, and Christopher Walken was the uh, villain. Right. And I was there with my girlfriend, Grace Jones, who played the bad girl, you know, the, the villainous uh, in the picture. That must have been quite an quite a, uh, eye-opener for you to, to start in a Bond movie for your first movie. That's quite a production. Yes, it was an introduction. Even though I was there for about 30 seconds, there was some guy who had shown up for work. Yeah, some dude didn't show up for work, some, some stunt guy. And uh, I was there on set, and, you know, the director came up to me because he knew I was, you know, Grace. He needed a big, some big guy, and he said, hey, hey, you want to do a scene with Christopher Walken? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I can. He said, no, you don't have to say anything. Just you got to take this gun. You know, pointed at Chris Walken, and when I say action, and that's that's your 
know, that's what you're going to do. So I did it, and, and he said, um, very well done. You know, I think you can be in the movies. It was like, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the next well, I didn't know what was going to happen, but next, the following year, I was always doing the Rocky Four pictures, so he was, I guess he was right. Well, it's turned out right. How did you get the opportunity to work with Sylvester Stallone? Look, what happened was, I was in New York, and I was uh, doing some modeling, I was starting acting, and uh, one, I got this call from for a boxing movie, for some boxing movie. And there was like a huge line of guys, maybe a couple of hundred people. And I stood in line, and I came up to this desk, and there's a woman sitting there, and, and there's a sign behind saying Rocky IV. And I, when I was a big Rocky fan, you know, from my fighting days, so, uh, so I, you know, they, they just didn't, the woman didn't even look up. She just said, oh, how tall are you? I said, six four. She said, too tall, thanks. And I'm like, what, what? She said, too tall, who on? So uh, I um, thought about it for a second, and then I, I took some pictures in boxing gear, you know, in the gym, and I gave them to my acting coach at the time. His name was Warren Robertson, and he knew um, he knew some people I knew Sly, and that's what he said anyway. Uh, and um, well, they actually they knew Bert uh, Bert Young. So I think they actually went to Bert Young to uh, one of Sly's buddies. Uh, director and um, and then six months later I got a call when I was in Europe and some poor guy was out of that to try to track me down I guess for a few months because you know I was nobody of course didn't have an agent or anything and he found me and then um, you know they flew me to LA and uh, met with Sly and you know uh, he said he had a five I got five dozen guys up for this role so uh, <laughs> you know I as a, you get up to audition, put on some muscle. So I started lifting weights, and uh, you know, six months later, I auditioned with uh, a couple of Russian guys. Actually, it was me and two two Russians, and uh, got the role. That's fascinating, and you actually do a very good role. I thought actually Sly was there with you for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, you didn't tell me Sly popped in. That's a pretty good imitation. What was the training? What was the tra training like to prepare for that role? I mean. Between the boxing and the weights, I mean, what I mean, it had to be probably a very intense undertaking. I think it was one of the hardest undertakings that I've done, and I think for Sly as well. That's what he says anyway. Um, I mean, he was about thirty-eight or thirty-seven. I was twenty-seven, and um, we did. Well, I was already in good shape because one, I was a fighter. Two, I trained to get the role for six months. I had to do it. Green test was, you know, with no shirt and all that. But then we trained here in LA for, we trained for five months, six days a week, twice a day, weights in the morning, boxing in the afternoon, every day. So, you know, at the end, on a strict diet. So at the end of that, you know, I mean, it's like I said, you know, you won't be able to get out of shape after this, you know. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, it was, um, no, it was, it was um, you know, in those days there was no CGI, there was no, you know, you had to look the way you looked, and um, I was in tremendous shape, and so was he. You both looked amazing, it was a great movie. Well, it's time to take a break, it's time to take a quick break, we'll be right back with our guest, the amazing Dolph Lundgren, who does a phenomenal slice to loan invitation, by the way, on ESPN Real Talk San Diego.
Daylight City gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. We are back with that's Superstar Dolph Lundgren on the Brett Davis Success Hour on ESPN Real Talk San Diego 1700. Dolph, I appreciate you being here today. I know you're getting ready to take off uh, for Mos- Moscow. Uh, describe to us what you like about directing and the process of screenwriting. Um, well, you know, when I was a kid, I loved writing because I was kind of a solitary kid and I you know, I had allergies, like I mentioned before, and I like to sit at home and write or, or read and draw pictures. And, and um, I um, I mean, writing is it's tough in one way because, you know, you start with a blank page, and it's sort of, you know, it's the one thing about films that that's really the inception of the whole project. But there is something fascinating about doing it and creating characters and even rewriting direct because you, you get under the skin of the picture and the story and the characters so when you're on set directing or working you know you don't even have to think about it it's second nature you know how these people think you know like if you have to simplify a scene or or, or cut it shorter or move it to different locations it's no big deal and what do you like about directing is a little chance for me to multitask a little bit like when I was an engineer when I was in college and, and uh, you know get involved in the visuals the sound the, the writing the acting the producing the planning of the, of the show and, and uh, I guess ultimately you're trying to affect the audience you're trying to make them feel something or entertain them and I think you know one of the biggest gifts that I get in my career is that I, I get to affect people and, and make them feel good and make them um, yeah, to entertain them and, and I think when you're directing, obviously you're doing that on another level than when you're just acting so I think that's why I like it must be quite challenging to be a director, an actor, and a screenwriter and a producer all at the same time yeah, this is tough, I mean I've, I've done all of those I I've got a couple of projects now when I'm producing and directing and probably starring and some I'm not starring I'm just producing and directing and look I mean acting is, is great it's like playing it's uh, like being a kid and you get paid to go out there and have fun and, and relax and not think too much obviously when you're directing or producing you have to you have to think you have responsibility you, you're, uh, you're under pressure but yeah, like all the above and I I think sometimes, you know, after you've done a bunch of movies, it just sometimes it feels to me like, especially the independent smaller pictures, that I might as well do it myself since I've done so many of them and I know how to do them anyway. And I don't have to, it's better for me not to argue with somebody else, just do it myself. Makes it a lot easier. In one way it does, you know. You've made a lot of, a lot of films in, in Europe, haven't you? I mean, for a period of time, a lot of good, a lot of movies. You know, you're right. When I um, uh, when I um, got married, um, it was about 20 years ago, and then uh, my my first daughter was born, and my ex-wife she didn't like LA. She didn't want to live here. She was in Sweden, so she dragged me first to New York, and we lived there. It was great, and then we moved to um, Spain, to uh, Marbella, Spain. 
I lived in Spain, believe it or not, for uh, 10 years, 15 years, more or less. Then I went back and forth to Los Angeles, and I made a lot of films in Europe also, a lot of smaller movies, and, and, um, you know, I always knew I'd had to come back to L.A. And, uh, you know, because my career kind of started going downhill a little bit, and then when my kids got a bit older, they were about... uh, or about 10 or so, uh, you know, that's when I get the call from my good friend Sly about the Expendables, and that's about, you know, eight years ago. And, uh, go to the script, check it out. So then I read the script, there's a drunk Swede with a big knife <laughs> named Gunnar Jensen, and I'm like, okay, get it. So, um, then, uh, you know, I moved back to L.A. in 2009, and, and, did a couple of Expendables pictures, and since then I've been more focused on my career and then trying to get back into directing and and uh, and, and you know do the whole thing. And it's really been it's been really wonderful coming back and working in this town because I you know I like I like show business and and it's been um, yeah. So I picked up since then, you know. What future projects are you envisioning for yourself? Uh, well, I got a few different ones. I'm always, you know, always have to work on a few when you're, you know, because you, out of five, maybe two gets made. So to get made, so I got, um, I got a picture. I'm um, probably going to direct next year, um, early next year. It's kind of a, um, actually, it's, it's the first fight picture that I've done since Rocky IV. It's about an aging fighter. It's kind of an interesting script. Um, and I'm nice to talking to Mickey Rourke, who's a buddy of mine, to do a little role in it. People like that. Randy Couture, guys I know, friends of mine, um, to direct that. And then I have a Swedish uh, project in Sweden, a uh, historical picture that I've had for many years. It's a thriller, like an action spy thriller I'm trying to do because I haven't done anything in Sweden. And, and um, of course, there's Expendables 4, Summer on the Horizon. Uh, then I've got a couple of TV projects I'm trying to put together since television is, you know, getting bigger and you get good good material and we can have a little more fun with your character and spend longer times, you know, building a character than in features. You have to do it all and introduce the guy in 30 minutes and then you have 60 minutes of, uh, of uh, you know, execution of, of, the, of the plot. So, you know, you have, you know, 20 episodes in a this, in this series. So, yeah, so I'm working on a few different things like that. That's great. So you, know, you talked about how you you know you made films in Europe for a while and and it, you, you, your girls and you lived in Spain. It was, you know you've thought about your family it seems like and and took them out of the LA environment and went to Spain. After everything you've accomplished, everything you've accomplished, what has fatherhood fatherhood been like for you? You know, fatherhood to me has been the greatest. It's really. To me, that's the most valuable thing I have in my life right now, and my two daughters, and how I can sort of guide them into them having getting a great life and getting the most out of life the way I try to do it. Uh, right now, my oldest daughter is actually in LA. She got signed by a modeling agency. I try to talk her out of the business, but nope. <laughs> so she wants to act. She wants to, she wants to be in the modeling business and. You know, uh, we're working out together. I train her. We did a little shoot for Muscle Fitness the other day. And, you know, even though 
you know, it's a tough business. And I hope she'll be fine. And I, I do think she will be fine because she's, she's much more together in a way than I was. I was tougher in one way because I had a rougher upbringing, but she seems emotionally more stable. And, and, um, you know, I think the one, the, the best thing for me is to be able to kind of, kind of give them the gifts that I had to, I had to fight for and I had to suffer for. I have to make the mistakes and I can just hand it to them, you know, and hopefully they can use it to get a, a more interesting and, and a, a really interesting and a bright life and a very wonderful adventure on this earth, you know. That's what I'm here for. What, um, what are your daughter's names? It's Ida, Ida, so that's a Swedish name, and Greta. And we just met, we just met um, Ida yesterday. Yesterday? Two days ago. Yeah. Uh, very level-headed. Um, seemed like she has her act together. Seemed like you, you know, you, you've really given her a lot of wisdom and knowledge. And what a sweet girl. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm. I'm really, I'm really happy about my two girls. That they're, you know, they, they managed to, to stay, like you said, pretty unspoiled and sweet, even though they, they do know about the business here that I'm in, but they haven't been affected by it in a bad way. Okay, I have uh, I have a question for you. Uh, I'm going to throw you a curveball here a little bit. Sure. What one word best describes you? One word that describes me. Um, oh shit. Um, <laughs> complex. Complex. Maybe. I don't. You know, you're complex, but you're simplistic. Simplistic and complex. I don't know. I suppose I would say. I don't know. I would say. Uh, very interesting. I, th- I think. Th- okay, complex. What's th- uh, yeah, uh, in a good way, I suppose. Meaning, yes. Uh, I find out new things about myself every day. What's your secret to success in life? To um, keep moving forward and to fuck. Not, not, not analyze too much. Don't over, don't over analyze. Don't over analyze. You know, and, and don't over analyze things that haven't happened yet. Yeah, because most of the most of the time, what we worry about never happens, does it? Exactly, and uh, it's almost like it's jumping off. Uh, you know, it's like it's like jumping off a, a, a trampoline. You know, you just gotta jump. You just gotta go and see what happens. And it's I've done it all my life. And um, you know, I think a lot of people in this business they do that. They they take shots and chances. And um, I guess that's how mankind um, you know moves forward by some. Crazy individuals doing stuff that they weren't supposed to do. People didn't expect they were supposed to. Absolutely. The other one thing you said about overthinking things, overanalyzing. One of my favorite sayings is analysis paralysis. Yeah, you're right. And being Swedish, watching Bergman as a kid, I tried to, I tried to analyze everything. <laughs> being an engineer, so I'm, so I'm fighting that. In, you know, my in, my sort of. Uh, kind of um, instinct of uh, 
overthinking stuff, but I somehow I managed to just um, I managed fairly well to just if I if I feel something is right, I'll just go in and do it and, and you know don't hesitate too much. I appreciate appreciate that. I totally agree. Okay, we t- we're taking our uh, break once again. Our show is almost over. Uh, it's gone by very quick. I know you're extremely busy, so um, we're going to take a break and come right back and follow up with some things and catch up, uh, finish, send you on your way to Moscow. Okay, okay uh, we'll be right back on the Brett Davis Success Hour on ESPN Real Talk San Diego. Welcome back to the end of the Brett Davis Success Hour on ESPN Real Talk San Diego 1700. Man, I'll tell you, time really flies. I can't believe uh, this interview's gone by so fast. I had to go to the bathroom for like the last hour. I've been holding it, but uh, this interview's been fantastic. Uh, Dolph, what are you currently doing to stay in shape? Uh, you look fantastic. You look lean. Um, tell us about your workout and tell us a little bit about your nu- nutrition, what you do. So we're uh, we're on the radio right now uh, live with uh, the amazing Dolph Lundgren, who uh, has had an interesting career and has been in Rocky Four, and he's been also in uh, The Punisher, Universal Soldier. Yeah, we can hear you perfectly. Okay, cool. Thanks. No, not at all. I appreciate you being here. So tell us a little bit about Thanks. what you're currently doing to stay in shape because you look amazing. Yeah. Um, right now, um, actually, I was doing a lot of martial arts uh, last summer, this past summer, and I got an in-hip injury so from doing too many kicks so on the heavy bag. So I'm kind of taking it easy with the kicks and the heavy lifting. And I do more... Uh, a lot of uh, circuit training. So I'll do, you know, there is various stations like, you know, push ups, planks, you know, weight training, abs, hitting the bag. I kind of mix it all up into these little circuits that I'll do to take about 30, 40 minutes. I do a lot of that. Um, I do swimming when I can, and um, sometimes I lift a little heavier um, upper body. So I always try to get in the gym about three to five days a week. It depends. Sometimes six. It depends, you know, how much I travel or if I have injuries and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, that's kind of what I do right now. How many typical reps do you do in your circuit? Okay, well, one circuit I have is based on time. You work 35 seconds, you rest 25. Oh. So usually you get to about 20 reps there. So okay. you're trying to keep the weight not too heavy, you know, a little more cardio. Um, and I have another circuit where I just where I do about 10, 15 reps, and and do supersets with it. So I saw superset, for instance, incline dumbbell presses with with um, uh, like back um, like uh, like rows, for instance. I'll superset those two. Then I'll switch to superset like sh- uh, shoulder press with with uh, bicep curls. Then I'll superset in the bag with. Uh, with um, uh, sit-ups, for instance, like that. The other circuit's more like, you know, more military, where you move every minute, you, you move. So you should go 35 seconds and then rest 25. And then after about four or five stations, you rest for an extra minute, then you do it again. So that way I keep the cardio going, even though I'm 
Yeah, you kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. So uh, when you don't do that, do you, what kind of cardio would you normally do? The swimming? Um, I did a lot of swimming for a while, but then I have a hip injury, so I, my breaststroke, you know, when you're doing the kicks there, you kind of felt that one. So I did, um, I used to do, well, I, I, sometimes I just do the, the elliptical mixed with the bike, the, the stationary bike and the, um, the, the treadmill. So I, I like, I don't like to be on it more than, say, 10 minutes, so I can, if I want to do 30 minutes, I'll do 10 minutes on each machine or something like that. Uh, you know, before that, obviously, I did a lot of uh, martial arts, hitting the bag, bag work, which is great. You know, do five rounds in the bag or ten rounds in the bag or something like that. That I also now sometimes it's nice to just do a little warm up, maybe ten minutes, or, you know, just a little warm up, a little stretching, and then if I do one of those weight circuits, it takes me about that's about forty minutes. So then we're gonna warm down. You're at an hour. And 30, 40 minutes of that is cardio because, you know, the, your, your heart rate gets kind of high doing the, the circuit. So I kind of, right, right now, that's kind of what I'm doing for, for cardio. What are, you, what are you also doing as far as your, your, uh, your nutrition plan? Tell us what you typically eat on a day. Okay, well, I'm, I um, kind of, I like to stay on the same type of foods. I know it's kind of boring, but... You know, that way I kind of, I don't have to think about it too much, and, except when I go out to, you know, to cheat and have whatever I want, which you gotta do once in a while. Uh, but usually for breakfast, I'll either have like an egg white omelet, maybe two two eggs and two egg whites with some, some dark bread and with a little honey on it, and some tea, maybe some fruit. Uh, or the second course is oatmeal with sliced bananas, almond milk, and, uh, two boiled eggs, so either one or the other. And then lunch, usually some tuna salad and chicken salad, something high protein. Uh, unless I've trained really hard, I may have some carbs for lunch. But normally I don't have that because it kind of slows me down during the day too much. Uh, then in the afternoon, I have some kind of maybe protein shake or maybe protein bar or give you some nuts or something or fruit. And then for dinner, either something light, if I have to get up early, maybe I'll just have some chicken soup or something with, you know, a little bit of rice in it or something. Or if, if I, you know, if I feel tired, I'll eat a bigger meal, like maybe chicken and rice or, or steak and rice or something like that. Probably, you probably drink tons of water a day, I would think, too, also. Yeah, except when you're filming, when you're shooting or filming, you know, you're trying to dehydrate to get more caught, so then it's, you dehydrate, you don't drink any water, and I, I just came off that cycle now for that uh, muscle fitness shoot where you just drink you know you get thirsty and you you know the water between your skin and your muscles um, you know get less so you kind of you see uh, the definition better otherwise I try to drink a lot of water which I cheat you know I'm bad with it but I force myself uh, to do that um, and I try not to drink too much coffee I like coffee but I try to maybe two cups a day max and usually nothing after 5 p.m. because then it kind of make it makes it more difficult to, to sleep sometimes. How long did you prepare for that photo shoot? You know, it wasn't that long because I only knew about it for about two weeks and I was training my daughter. So I, uh, I you know, maybe for a week I went for more of a strict diet, cut out a lot of carbs, I cut out, you know, desserts, 
didn't drink as much coffee, didn't drink much alcohol, because sometimes I like a drink, you know, or like some beer or something, but I took, took that out. And less, less, uh, uh, not, not no bread. Uh, but, you know, the two days before I get finally kind of strict to start starving a little bit and have less water and, and uh, just eat very small meals. So your stomach shrinks a little bit, you know, so you get that flatter look. Yeah, you look fantastic. Tell us about your meditate about your meditation that you do. Typically, how much do you do a day, or you know, when do you when do you find the time to meditate? Um, I started doing uh, it based on a DVD that my girlfriend got me, and this is like about three or four years ago. I started doing just five minutes, three three four minutes, because there's this little there's this guy named Jack Cornfield that has this uh, Spirit Rock Center. It's up by by San Francisco up there and he has this really nice DVD called Meditation for Beginners I started with that one it's just three minutes you talk so you listen and you follow your breath it's Vipassana meditation so it's Buddhist meditation you follow your breath and you're, you kind of follow your thoughts and you have an emotion if you feel worry or anything you kind of just embrace it until it goes away you know uh, so you're trying to calm your mind down so I started doing that and then after about three or four years now, I'm up to about, well, depending on what I have to do that morning. I usually do it first thing in the morning. For, sometimes I do an hour. Like this morning, I did an hour. So you basically sit in a fairly dark place, quiet. And either I listen to some other DVDs I have or I sit by myself for about an hour. You know, so it's, 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 uh, it takes a lot of, <laughs> it takes a lot of discipline, but I feel like it really cleans out all my, any negative emotions that I would have, you know, that I can, that I can develop while you're sleeping or worrying about things. So you meditated for a whole hour today. Yeah. That's, it takes an yeah. amazing amount of um, being, <laughs> wow, concentration. Yeah. Well, they call, it the, they call them the hindrances. It's, you know, anger, greed, fear, jealousy, hate, those type of emotions that we all have. It's they're we all have them as humans because they make us survive. They help us to survive, you know, for millions of years. But, you know, those emotions can also be very uh, unhelpful in getting and be very damaging to you, to your happiness, to your inner calm, you know. So you can't end up dealing with those emotions. The longer period you have, uh, the more you can wipe those things and cut them down so you don't have to deal with them during the day so much. I guess if your fans want, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I really, really appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, if your fans wanted to look at your information, the best place to go would probably be DolphLundgren.com. Yeah, there's a website that I'm, we're revamping right now. Uh, there's a little bit on my Facebook page. Sometimes I share things like videos and, and uh, you know, uh, various thoughts on those matters. But it'll probably be DuffLondon.com is going to come up in a few months. So by next year, it should be gone. Fantastic. And we follow you on Facebook. It was really great getting to know the real Dolph Lundgren and hearing, hearing your whole life. Uh, you're truly an inspiration, and I hope the audience uh, gets a lot of value, especially about the meditation and just all about your life. And what a, what a phenomenal! I had a great interview. I really enjoyed this. Thanks, Brad. It was very nice of you to, to like me, and uh, wish you and your show all the best. And I hope to see you very soon. Yes, let's stay in touch and let's get to work on some things. I love. I want to send you some products out to try and see what you think about them. Yeah, man. Let's do that. Start them. Protein powder if you love the things.
Absolutely. Be safe, my friend. You too. We appreciate you taking the time to be our guest today. I look forward to working with you on some uh, future projects. Thank you. Let's talk soon. Okay, bye. Be safe. Have a good time in Russia. Thanks, everyone. Happy happy holidays. Happy holidays to you and your beautiful family. Merry Christmas. And uh, we'll talk soon when you come back. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Brett Davis Success Hour on Real Talk San Diego ESPN 1700. Happy New Year, and may 2017 be your best year yet. Blessings to Claire and Sarah for all the beautiful things you do in my life. And thank you very much, everybody. Have a good day.